Hello and welcome to uh, Not We Cut Heads, Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. I'm your host Spencer, and with me is they say he's a uh, he's uh, the the you know what I don't feel comfortable making a joke of that. I'm gonna say you're like Bruna, but you know what? I don't want to use that type of language just talking about you. Oh, you mean I'm a 40 year old playing a mid 20s person? <laughs> Yeah, you're you're the easy. Did you, did you look that up? Nope. That lady was like, when I don't know when they filmed it, but it was released in '62, and she was born in '21. Uh, so, mm. so she, is she older. looks very young. <laughs> she is older than uh, Pierre. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think Pierre was about forty when he made this. Uh, Maybe I, the contemporaries. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the second pair, second half of the 1962 pairing. The first half was, um, uh, My Life to Live, the Godard film. I forgot how to say the French title, so I'm not gonna try to say it. And this is our second of, I think, four Pasolini movies, because I added, uh, Gospel according to Matthew. Um, to a schedule. Do you, do you find Pasolini to be a particularly interesting uh, filmmaker or just a character himself? Uh, both. Because I, I, I didn't really watch his movies for a long time. And then after I saw Teorama, uh, Teorema, uh, whatever, how you say it, that got me interested. Like, okay, I want to see more of his movies. And I saw Sallow, then we, you know, then this. And now it's kind of like, that's when Nick's used to watch Pasolini and, uh, try to digest it and talk about it like it's like I, I get how some people can get obsessed with him because there are a few film writer people that I'm a fan of who are like obsessed with Pasolini it's like okay yeah like it, it's starting to hook into me like I get it obsessed with Pasolini yeah I don't know I mean like the te- uh, theorem or theorem yeah. or theorem or what was it, Teorema, right? Well, Sam Deegan. That her, was. Uh huh. Sam Deegan in her book that might be out by now has uh, a whole chat. Uh, it's about World War Two movies um, uh, from Europe that are uh, that are art house or cult. So basically non mainstream. So no dad movies. And she has a whole chapter dedicated to Pasolini alone. It has two chapters dedicated to like Fassbender, and it's just like different looks at World War Two with European like movies. But like those are only two directors getting chapters dedicated like to them specifically. So like, you know, mm. I'd be interested to like I, I I feel like when it comes to Italian film, there are so many that take place in the in the world of the leftovers of the war, you know, the poor and the, the people like when you see a soldier who fought in the war in the Fran- in the French movies or Italian or even British movies sometimes uh you'll see somebody who's he's a guy who's just trying to make it by like he's not a hero, he's not get the toast of the town, he's not coming back to his American job with his American wife and his American two and a half children. Yeah, it's yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, this is the second Pasolini film. The first is Akatone, 
which Ecatone. Yes. And from uh, sixty one. This is like good yeah. Yeah, so that, so yeah, he was forty when this when uh um Mama Roma came out. No. Which I I I I'm surprised like he he started kinda late. But he had whole, I mean that's yeah. This is his second movie. Good job. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was he did, did poetry and like <laughs> theater and other stuff. Like he, mm-hmm. he he had a whole like full life and career before making movies. Oh, that's cool. I mean, that that sounds kind of like the French New Wave directors with their literary magazines and such yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, like, Jesus, we're talking about Godard again, but Godard like kind of had like um, rich. I think it's like his dad had money. someone close to him had money and helped fund like Breathless and other stuff and like he his from what I understand his life pre like movie making movies wasn't as like full and lively as someone like Pasolini and that's not me trying to make a dig at Godard mm-hmm. no, I didn't I didn't think you were making a dig at him okay I do, you know, it's, you can't say Godard did not have an effect on uh, film yeah. at the time, and uh, but like pre- possibly is still a voice people listen to, yeah. whether or not that's a good idea. Yeah, but, but speaking in terms of, like, before he started making movies, he, you know, he didn't have as full of a life as, like, even, as, like, you know, like, Pasolini. Like, not, not many people do. He didn't bring that experience. Well, if you watch Breathless, yeah, that's all. Ba- you can tell that's all based on things he saw, not people he actually knew or anything like that. It feels fake. This, this feels real enough. Although there are Mama Roma has some parts that unfortunately feel less, a little less neorealism than I would like. A little more like I need this to be this particular framing kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. So, this is uh, well. This is your second Pasolini movie. Uh, yep. Do you like it more in Theorem? Um. Do I like it more than Theorem? I mean, Theorem is such a weird movie that is like a stupid, uh, an absurd art piece almost. You know, it's not. You could you could watch Theorem and be like. That was ridiculous and bad, and you could watch that and be like, "That was ridiculous and good." And I think either reaction is a valid reaction. Mm. With Mama Roma, it is much more of a straightforward uh, Italian drama, low key stakes. At least, like to the world, there's no anything going on. We're not going to affect a community, but it is it focusing on this poor, you know, on this woman's life and. And her sons, and yeah, it's, I think that, hmm, I I just haven't had enough time to to digest Mama Roma yet. I I just barely finished it about an hour ago. Would you say uh, it's easier to get into than uh, Theorem? It's more like a regular movie. Yeah, it's more true. like a a traditional narrative kind of thing, but it, it has some things that I think would be off putting. Like there are time jumps that they don't make evident, except for you know time must have passed because of 
what happened, you know, yeah. where a person is yeah, in it's, the story. Someone will say something, and you're like, okay, I guess that happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like how this is a movie about a woman who was a sex worker and chooses to retire, and then we see almost nothing about the actual sex work and stuff like that, except for her interaction with other sex workers and uh, the terrible pimps that they have and and things like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I think I like this as much as Theorem. They're very different movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, something I know about Pasolini that people always say is that his first a crop of movies are more accessible and more mainstream and this is the second movie so like it's still in the phase of he's like okay I can make a real I can make a normal movie and then by the time you get the theorem six years later he's like uh uh fuck that shit I just want to make like a f- absurd art piece and then by get the yep. time you get the silo it's it's even more extreme with his approach yep. to like story and ideas and you can and, uh, but you still see like I, the ones at least like I can see like the the ceiling the like the beginning of what was going to happen in terms of like stripping away the humanity, which not mm. which was me not a bad thing. It's just like you know he wasn't interested in telling human stories anymore after a certain point, and then uh, you know it's he turned to his own thing. But like seeing this this very human story was just like like I gen like I it didn't make me cry but there are parts that generally did really get to me between like Mama Roma and her son. Yeah, I get that. I mean it's there is a warmthness of uh familial relations between those two that is almost uncomfortable as an American. Like I can't mm-hmm. We, you know, we're all raised by loving. At least I was raised by loving parents. I don't know <laughs> how how you were, but like I was never that close to my mother. You know, my mom was never like, "Let's close dance," because I want to be close to you. You know, and uh, things like that. But it's, I mean, it is endearing. It feels real. Like the the actress does an excellent job. And uh, uh, Mag- uh Magnani. Hmm. Or Magnani, I guess, like the American way you say it. Magnani, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, she... Okay, well, first thing I noticed was, like, this... Her look looked familiar. And then when it was <clears throat> over, I was like, wait a second. That's, that's Divine's hair and fashion style from Female Trouble and from Hairspray true and uh yeah what i said when i was watching you know i was like isn't this how some of the women's hair looks like in the sopranos <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but but specifically specifically i was thinking like okay uh, john waters has seen this movie because i know he's a big pasolini fan like he mm-hmm. said uh, about gospel according to matthew or saint matthew was but uh he said about that because he had on on some site the like uh, he could count on of his favorite Jesus movies and for gospel he said it's the first Jesus movie that I feel unironically uh, like 
revenant towards religion and like Catholicism. And so like he genuinely mm. like was a huge fan of Pasolinian and multiple maniacs. There's a poster of, I think it's theorem. And, 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 uh, one of, and, and one of the, uh, uh, houses, which was his real apartment. But like, uh, you know, like he was clearly like inspired by, uh, Pasolini in terms of like filmmaking and also in terms of like or maybe Divine was also a fan but like also in terms of like Divine's like um like uh on screen you know like a uh, wardrobe and like wigs and shit sure yeah <clears throat> but uh so how would you describe Mama Roma well a a woman pushing probably 40 um uh, no I don't know <laughs> she's he's yeah, her uh, asshole dude says that he found her when she was 40, so she's probably, uh, she's probably in the 50s or whatever. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, we see her retiring from prostitution, sex work, and uh, she has dreams of, she's going to open a storefront in Rome instead of the backwater town she's been living in and and start a, a new straight life and one of the things that happens is she uh, her son that we don't get really details on what the situation was there but it seems like she was not raising him and you know, there, there's a point where she makes a comment like, "The I had to go so much trouble just to get you back." You know, and she, her son is 16, and uh, he he does seem like a nice boy. That's it's funny, but uh, yeah. a little bit of a troublemaker. But yeah, normal things. Yeah, he doesn't seem that bad at first. He just seems he seems like you know, he is like I mean, literally, he was raised without without his without a parent and yet you know, right. he but he still seems like uh yeah like uh like he's a product of like the post-world war ii rebuilding society yeah he doesn't seem messed up or un unwell adjusted or anything like that i mean as he's as well adjusted as any boy in any italian movie that i've seen from that age you know it's kind of just on the edge of like i like girls and also ooh, there's all kinds of th fun things we can do besides school it's it's being a 16 year old so yeah. w what happens in the movie is she does she moves to rome she takes her son with her uh and she starts selling goods and but unfortunately the world does not allow her to live out these plans that she thought she thought everything was going to be okay from that point forward but she's got people who revisit her from her past there's this guy who i guess was her her pimp i, I don't know if there's a term for that uh i found some review where they had the italian word for it i, I yeah. can't remember where i found it now and he's he's a real scumbag. He'll, he comes back, and the only thing he wants is money from her, which means she has to go back to sex work. Which there, there's nothing wrong with doing sex work, but it should be if you should choose to do it if you don't want to. That's obviously it's a fucked up thing. Uh, so 
that keeps happening and then her son she's trying to do the best for him but he's already going in with a a bad crowd of kids that don't go to school and there is this this poor girl who everyone treats all these boys already treat her as like you know she's just the girl everyone has sex with you know and she's she's fun but uh mm. yeah the boy ends up falling for her pretty hard and gets into trouble because of that and it just it all wraps up in in the kind of tragedy that uh in my opinion felt kind of false by the end unfortunately yeah. but it's still effective it, but it's not no yeah, as it's... strong as the rest right yeah it, it it's it's like he knew what he wanted the end to be but he didn't know how to end it maybe i i don't know i don't i can't really comment on what the actor or the director thought well uh, was this happen. this is the time when he had personally would have like one like one or two professional actors and a lot of non-professionals so the son editor atori how do you say that atori atori um that's his real name. His name in the movie is Ettore, uh Where is it? Uh, 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 Gar, uh, Garofalo, and that's his actual name. Like it, it didn't really uh, change it. Garofalo. Yeah, Garofalo. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a non-actor. Yeah. Like this. He does the, pretty good. Yeah. It's uh, I think. It's, might be the only thing he, he's done because I know for um, the next movie, a gospel, he, the uh, the guy who played Jesus was a Spanish university student that was like in the Communist Party, mm. and uh, yeah. Letterbox has him listed in a couple of other things, but not anything other. Uh, Rogo Pagi, which is a the first initials of the directors the short films hmm. Rosalini, Godard, Pasolini and Gregoretti which I've never heard of Gregoretti but uh, and at, at, at Tori he looks like I will not use names when I get into this and you'll quickly know why he looks like someone that I went to school with in middle school who uh, I caught uh, playing like a hentai game in a computer lab nice he looks like that kid, and so like initially I was like, "Fuck this asshole," <laughs> mm-hmm. but then you know I kind of grew to to like uh, a Tory. Sure, yeah. Well, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's anything wrong with the kid. He's just growing up, and he's surrounded by these people, and and he's you know his mother. I mean, what do you think of her <laughs> parenting? She. She's trying her best. She um. She has to work because there's no dad around. Um, yeah. No, she's in a she's in a real shitty situation. Yeah, I, yeah the things like that. But it it reminds me so much of the way the families talk to each other in these movies like why would you do that you're so stupid oh my son he's brilliant he did it like like from one moment insulting to the next moment 
being like a, praising and being like, look like, at him, he's an angel. <laughs> like on a motorcycle ride, she's like, what are you, a communist now? And then she's mm-hmm. like, like, flicks off the, the driver, like, fuck you for getting her away. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, Italian parents. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I thought, I like. I don't know, but I always think when I like somebody who's a non-actor, I always think, like, what if I actually spoke Italian? Would I be like, this guy sucks? <laughs> but, I mean, he shows emotion, you know? He, sh- he shows a sadness. There's a, there's a scene where, later in the movie, when mm-hmm. he's on his way down to the, the dredges of, of uh, wherever he's going, you know, he's playing sick, and, like, he... You know, he looks like somebody who has a fever. He looks like somebody who's trying to push past, even though uh, he, because he has something to prove, he's got a chip on his shoulder, and it doesn't matter if he's not feeling good because he can't show weakness in front of these people. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if this was the intent, but is her former pimp supposed to be his dad? No, she she says that her, his former dad was somebody who got arrested when she got married. Okay. And I don't know, we don't really find out, but that man is not Okay. this boy's father. Cause I, I was pretty sure he wasn't, but... Because, like, her backstory is mysterious. Yeah. Because you get, like, kind of little hints, because, like, she kind of joked, like, oh, yeah, I got married at 14 to a 65-year-old because he had money. It's like... Wait, what? And then like you get this other this, these random little details, right? Of like, like, and this is her monologuing on there on these like avenues of uh, of shame or whatever they're supposed to be. Where I, I I love those scenes where she's just it's like after her night of sex work, she's she's just walking along on her way home, and it's all these men are like, "Hey, tell me, tell me." And she doesn't care. She doesn't care who's around listening or if anyone is around listening. She's got a story to tell and she's, you know, she's <laughs> like that terrible laugh that is also authentic. Yeah, it, it's that's yeah, another thing that made me like, like that's another like, divine quality to her where it's like, oh yeah, like I, I really, I'm pretty sure like Waters probably showed uh, divine like her performance, like act like this, but campier. Because that's yeah. kind of like like act like the campier, but talk like Tara Satana from Faster Pussycat, and that's like Divine's mm. acting style in the early John Water movies. Yeah, I think she. I mean, the I didn't even put that together that she says two different times. You know, like oh, I got married, and then I get married, and you get arrested, or he got married, and he was an old man, and like I mean, that makes me think of like <laughs> fucking. It makes me think of the Joker in the Dark Knight being mm-hmm. like, my father did this, to me, my mother did this to me. Like, like we don't, we're never going to find out about this this person's yeah. past because... Yeah. And to get, like, uh, pretentious and, like, symbolic, maybe, like, the ruins of the cities, like, the ruins of, like, you know, like, we, like you don't know what was, in, what was there in the ruins, and we don't know what her past mm-hmm. life was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite so. Yeah. Uh, and on topic of symbolism, this is Pasolini, so that means there will be a lot of religious imagery. What are you talking about? Hmm? I didn't see any religion. What are you talking about? Okay. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Christian imagery. Um, so, 
immediately he have like it opens with um uh you know whole like the retirement party which was that also like a that was also a wedding for the I mean well it's a wedding it slash. wasn't a oh, what <laughs> it wasn't a retirement party <laughs> uh, okay yeah yeah I realized what I said but she was retiring but like she was celebrating her retirement at the wedding of her former pimp Yes, and that's, I think him getting married was part of the retirement, like, thing. The whole reason she could is because it's like, okay, yeah. and, you, and obviously that did not work out. And you get these very, some, uh, the, like, uh, distant cold shots that, like, he would kind of, like, like, those type of shots just continue with his movies from here on out. Like, by the time you get to Solo, like, a lot of it is just, like this like cold distant like uh, symmetrical stuff mm-hmm. but here it's uh not that's not it's not cold it's like it's a big party you get to see people celebrate but like when it's once it when it's like far away it looks like the last supper painting and the whole time I'm thinking like it, it's it's a wedding meal it's just uh, you know and it's like this is you know the last time you know she's going to you know she's she's retiring and it's like there's like some religious subtext baked into that i was like yes it's like the last supper uh, painting and then you have uh uh before we were recording you brought up the imagery at the end where it's like the sun is kind of like jesus being crucified i mean so so much so that in the last shot where spoiler alert uh Spoiler alert. The the kid is dead. And um, his face is, you know, his eyes are open. His face is turned to the side, caught in the position that you often see on the crucifix. Christ up there making the same expression. And uh, I, I think it's funny that we, we pan down his body three times while he's strapped down like this. I'm like, uh, Mr. Pasolino... How old is this kid? Because <laughs> uh, I know it's religious, but uh, hmm. Uh, let me, let's let's take it easy. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say like he was a pervert, but you know, he he. he you know, he was a pervert in the same sense that we're all perverts. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not calling him <laughs> okay. out or anything like that. I just thought it was funny that we did it three times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not slut shaming him. Like you know, he 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 liked younger men. Uh, the, sure. The the his killer, uh, well, a long, long time who's who claimed to be a killer was like eighteen or seventeen at the time when he was like mm-hmm. in his fifties, maybe. Yeah, I think it was fifties, because he went to see a a, a a a sex worker before he died. Right. We're not gonna get into that. Um. Was it an accident? No, it was a murder, probably from the government or the police. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there, are, there are other people can have documented that better than I have. Are you sure? Because you just talked about it for about like a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you can go down some like conspiracy theory, like shining level rabbit holes with like the murder of Pasolini. <laughs> Some, yeah, I mean, I've, you, the the murder of any uh, 
I mean, murder in general is is a weird, fascinating subject. So yeah, I don't think it's a. Yeah, I think that the. I'm gonna watch that Willem Dafoe movie, and I'll I'll tell you what happens. Yeah, I've been curious about that. I want to see late era, um, artsy era, uh, uh, able, because like a lot of stuff is yeah. not that available. We'll dig it up. Yeah. Uh, oh, and another religious symbol is um, Anatori gives um, Bruna uh, a necklace of the of the of the Madonna. I think it might be Madonna holding. I think it's Madonna. Madonna and the child. Yeah, and it's above her what... above her cleavage, and you get this very uh-huh. uh, potent image of like of like you know cleavage religion, and it's like you know it's like the it's a very uh, symbolic way of sort of like the like what this movie is about. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's from his perspective, I don't, I... so it's like you know he's a horny boy, and he's just like trying to figure shit out, and it's like you know it's. I mean, it is as as unsubtle as uh, Teorema is, you know, but not not. I mean, no, it is not as unsubtle. It is if you've seen Teorema, like, yeah, it's not like, oh, what's he trying to say? Like, it's obvious what he's trying to say. Yeah, yeah the working class are better than the upper class. Obviously. Yeah, the the lower class and they deserve jewelry. <laughs> yeah, the lower class will reach spiritual uh you know uh like us will send spiritually and and find solace or whatever in it and the upper class will will won't do that yeah i mean it's it's kind of like a hypocrisy of the religious beliefs and and things like that it's like these this is a piece of jewelry it's not a religious symbol right for this this instance and it doesn't it doesn't feel weird weird for her and it you know like i don't know what they're with with her character uh what is her name she her name is bruna yeah which i kept thinking bruja which in spanish is witch and i don't know what the word for witch in italian is but it might be so bruna is not a not what i would call like a I, I feel like I'm coming off as American and sexist, but if you heard the name, oh, that's my sister Bruna, what would you assume this person look like? It, it's kind of like calling your character, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there were some names that were like universally, oh, Harold? that woman is unattractive. Oh, oh I'm for like... I guess for me, like if I if a character named Harold, like I kind of think, oh, they're gonna be like the the fat kid. Sure, Mildred. Yeah, Mildred. Or yeah, yeah, things like that. Gretchen. Uh, Gretchen. Yeah, yeah. Except for I, th- I think that the Playboy era took Gretchen away as like, ew, it's actually a thing. Like, shut up. Yeah, maybe. And it's all meaningless. Like this, this like name association with like assuming what somebody's gonna look like is meaningless. I mean, but it did. It's all personal. Like it's really like if I hear a name, my sister's name is Alex. If I hear a name Alex, I always assume female. Right. Yeah. But and most people would assume male. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is you know this bias of? Can you hear Freya eating? Let's say no. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I, I don't know what he's trying to say about her character, or if he's trying to say... I mean, he must be... The, the character is one of the main characters, Bruna. Yeah. Uh, and there's not a commentary on her promiscuity. If anything, we when we see her interacting with Atori, there is this innocence that's between the two of them that... I wonder, like, it, it, it must be, a, that's, it's a really good example of, like, if I push this scene on somebody, what do you think of this character? Do you see a young girl who is a, and I hate to use this word, a slut? And, you know, like, is a bad person because of that? Or do you see a a young person who's growing up in the area she is with the people she is and she's she's just a normal person and there is this kind of shame because she likes sex like her like her mother i mean his mother mama roma herself sees this woman and she's like she's ugly and she puts out therefore she's not good enough for my son yeah and, and it's then, like and she's not <laughs> ugly <laughs> she's a normal looking girl that's fine uh yeah and then she gets um, her sex worker uh, bestie to fuck her son so he forgets about his crush. Yeah, that's normal though, right? Yeah, Everybody's that, mom totally does normal. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like, this just feels like post uh, like reconstruct, like post-war Italy, reconst- like when it was being reconstructed, it must have been kind of chaotic. Like if you yeah. didn't have money, because like, uh, I'm sure if you're rich, like the like, like I'm sure Mussolini's kids um, that uh, were totally fine because I, I know like, his son kept working in the film industry there until he went to South America. When but, they were gonna charge him with something? <laughs> yeah, probably. Because he he yeah. died without being like tried for anything. He went to like Argentina or some shit. You know mm. where all the old fascists basically went. The ones who would yeah. like, afford it. Oh, speaking of which, it's fascist club tonight. I gotta go. <laughs> okay. Hang but, out with the other fascists. And this, um, I was trying to uh, extrapolate more religious symbolism and stuff, and I was thinking, like, because there's a part where editory, I think, is, like, skipping school or something. Uh, maybe before, uh, he, he starts going to, like, a trade school, but uh, there's a part where he's just walking through the wreckage, and Bruno's kind of, like, like slithers in like a snake but not literally but like the way she like kind of appears it's it's kind of like like temptation almost like garden of eden ish the way she like yeah this kindly suddenly starts to appear and like and you get this the tension of like him being like you know uh i don't want to say like aroused but like you know like you can get this sense of like he's like oh i'm alone with 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 like the with <clears throat> With the easy girl, what can happen? Yeah, and I mean, there's, like, he's got, it, it could just be, like, he wants to sleep with this girl, but he's, you know, he's buying her things, he's treating her nice. Like, those other guys, it seems like they they already know, I don't have to do any of that stuff. This, you know, she wants to, I'm sorry I keep saying the word, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to program that out of me, but. He seems like he's almost trying to court her. Yeah. And the other dudes are like, 
what are you doing? No one courts her. That's not that's not the way it works. Like, and you're taking her. If the if all of us want to go over and have sex with her, then we're all gonna go do it. There's no one of us walking off kind of thing. We gave you a one time thing here, buddy. What's going on? And it, it's a fucking it's gross because she's just a tool to the other dudes. Yeah. They do an excellent job of, you know, him being a non-actor of like laying this out like like yeah, I, he doesn't want it to be that way. I wonder I and I don't know about the other uh, but the other boys, but I'm pretty sure some of them were weren't uh, trained actors too. I I feel like they I spent like just local kids or something. Yeah, that that makes sense. Because, like, one of them is, like, missing a couple teeth. And, like, and it's, they, they generally look like, don't look like... Yeah, that guy's uh, a star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't look like, you know, like, <clears throat> actor-actors. They look, this look like, looks look like people. Where, like, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, like, Bruna and the mom look like actors. And they were actors. And uh, the, the former pimp, he's also, like, a professional but like besides those three, like everyone else is kind of looks like you know a person. I saw like little things that would come back. So there's a there's the um, the football or soccer um, shows up, and uh, that shows up in uh, theorem in uh, a small part. And apparently he uh, passionately loves soccer. And uh, there was uh, some incident where he went to uh, like a a soccer game and someone because he was like a big Mia personality and would make comments about stuff and someone approached him and was like oh are you going to talk about how soccer's like uh part of part of capitalism or some shit and he's like no I just like watching soccer <laughs> yeah he's like the Tommy Wiseau of soccer. Yeah. yeah, go out there and play soccer with your friends. <laughs> Try it; it's fun. Yeah. Cheep, 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 cheep. No. Yeah, but but uh, there's that, and then there's a part where they uh, talk about Dante's Inferno and say it talks the circle of shit, which shows up in, in Salo because that's separated in multiple sections. So like, like circle of shit is the one with the where the famous scene where the where the girl eats chocolate pudding. Uh. But I heard it was shit. I, I mean, it looks like shit, but it's chocolate pudding. And then, and uh, that's that's when. Uh... That's where the image of the poster comes from on the Criterion cover, the profile of her, like her her hands and her kneeling. face kneeling. Yeah, that's yeah. from the shit eating scene. No, I I thought I was gonna say this is uh, where. Um... Wow, my brain is not working today. We were just talking about the director you were saying was inspired, divine with the hairdo. Oh, uh, John Waters? John Waters. That's the only time John Waters watched one of his movies. Like, excuse me, I'll show you what it looks like to have somebody eat shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I like all the... Uh, what was it? And like a, a a big thing that stuck out was um uh I was going to, oh yeah we're talking close to Bruna because uh, you're talking about like 
uh, saying like is she this like the local slut is she innocent girl like i see it as she's just trying to survive and not be a victim in this uh in this uh situation where she could easily just be a victim and she kind of like i mean she she is but i don't know i feel like i need to watch it again but like because like she kind of goes with the flow because there's a part where editori is gonna you know have his have spent some time with her alone then his friends beat him up and she just goes from being like oh no editori to like oh i guess i want to have a gangbang now just like switches no. immediately right but but i was talking to sarah about that like it, it's it's it, that and one way to look at it is these she's like no no it's it's fine right like uh go away i'm gonna go do this but i mean also she could have been doing that because she didn't want him to be beat up anymore right this yeah. this could have been this whole thing it's like she doesn't want to but she knows that if she does they'll stop doing this and once it that's what i'm saying it's it's kind of this met- metric you know watch the movie tell me what you think of this character and then let's analyze why you think that about that character almost. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I feel terrible for her. That, that scene where she's talking to Itori about her baby, and she's like, <laughs> he's sick, he's probably going to die, and I'm sad about it. And he's like, oh, you shouldn't be sad. How old is he? He's like two, right, already? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's not even that young. He won't remember. Like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, and then like that never comes up again, which I which I think is purposeful because in that moment you're like, I mean yeah, it's post war Italy. Like, if you can't afford medical care and and your kid's gonna die, like, there's nothing you can do. But then hope like your kid doesn't die. If it does, then you know this is a, you get to move on. Yeah, and who knows? Like this this could be a reflection of Mama Roma. She's seen herself in this. It's a a young woman. Her husband's not around. She has a baby. People think of her as the easy girl. Like, it's... Yeah. Anyways, it's deep. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And what it's setting is, like, you have the wreckage of, like, a bombed-out Rome, and which it's this constant reminder of, like, and there's always a lot of talk of World War II, and like the Germans and the Nazis, and there's this this constant um, like it never really outright like get like talk about like uh, where am I going with this? Uh, it doesn't talk about the con- the movie story in context of the war. Yeah, that's it. It's always in. Yeah. It's always like is this just a world everyone lives in? And you get to get a sense of like the young generation, which I think maybe it's a commentary on like the kids growing up in who grew up like I'm in this like the uh, the kids who grew up in it just like to them the war was this kind of like a thing that happened and not a really big deal because this is the only thing they know. And Mama Roma and the older people are are like are are like no like. Well, it's never outright said, but there's a sense of she's like, no, you have to like get an education. You have to, you know, better yourself because if you don't better yourself, <laughs> like this could happen. You don't again. understand. Things are gonna think the world is gonna go back to normal, and you're gonna get left behind. Like, like the war is over. We don't have to hide and all this stuff like that. Yeah, and it's hard to see because it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm surrounded by crumbling buildings. I'm surrounded by crumbling people. For God's sake. 
Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. um, Paul Verhoeven grew up in in a, in a society like that. Like, because uh, he was a kid when the Nazis invaded uh, Netherlands. Is he? I forgot which country it is, but like he grew up in that world, and so to him, like it wasn't that scary or a big deal. His to him is kind of like, oh, it's fine. I can I get to skip school because the Nazis are around, and it's like. Oh, <laughs> this explains how like your movies are like, like like totally like why his movies are the way they are. Cause like you grew up in a crazy fucked up like uh time. Mm-hmm. Yes, you you might say that uh, it had an effect on <laughs> people. Yeah. And then you might say nothing else about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, let's see, what else was it? Um, I don't know. I don't have much else to say. Like, I really like this movie a lot. I'll probably watch it. I know I'll end up watching it again. Uh, well, how how do you feel about the main actress's performance in this, like in in particular? Uh, I like it a lot. Like she, it's if cause, cause I don't know if you call it neo-realist because I think that the movie may might have been dead by this point. Yes, but this movie is totally. I mean, it's got the non-actors. It's got the long scenes where. <laughs> It feels like we're just hanging out with the characters, which is unusual. You know, usually you want to push the story forward, yeah, kind I, of thing, and that that allows you to like see them as human instead of just characters in a movie. True, because by this, well, I guess we, I have it a little more, but this feels like a reaction to like the Vittorio De Sica like rom coms of like the with like um, Marcello and uh, and Sophia Loren. Where like mm-hmm. those are like modern Rome and people with uh, you know a little bit more money and it's colorful and fun and Marcello is gonna be kind of a sleazy um, bachelor guy who just wants to have sex or whatever and this just feels like Pasolini being like yeah but but the working class people still suffer and still exist and like they're being left behind. I don't know. I I can't say. Uh... When it when it comes to the near realist touch, like there's it's uh, these Italian movies, these Italian these Italian movies, no, uh, and their their parades, their celebration things, like Catholic, you know, uh, that scene with the marching band stuff like that. Uh, one of the things that bothered me is that is a very striking and fun scene watching those goofballs marching and playing the band but the music is not diegetic and it's like very obvious that it's playing from something and the same thing with like the record playing on occasion at some point we just kind of like leave music behind i think literally when he sells his mother's records oh yeah um and I think it's an interesting turn. I I feel like I, I could read something into it. It's like, well, now that we've gotten rid of that slightly sinful dancing music, the only music that's left is celebrating hmm. Christ. But hey, we're celebrating, right? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to still parse through like the Christian imagery of like the Last Supper thing at the beginning where like, you know, Although, like, Atori is the one who dies. So it's, 
Yeah. I mean, that he is the son, and Jesus was. I don't know. I'm I'm sure like there's some real, uh, uh, Catholic theolo- theological stuff to really dig into, but uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but like I mean, there, there are a lot of scenes of them going to church and uh, so it's like it's just like a really uh interesting like uh compare contrast of like you see the outside burned out world where people are are like you know quote-unquote sinful and like just doing fucked up things to survive and then everyone also goes to mass every sunday yeah the normal thing yeah i mean i kind of think of that as a normal catholic thing anyways and i don't i hope that doesn't upset anybody me saying but i I do think that it's kind of a weird cycle where it's like i have a normal life and then i have to report what i did and then i i get to go on with my normal life even if last week i did something really bad because now i've got you know i did those prayers that that guy told me to do yeah uh yeah this this freedom freedom for destruction that has to do with like a lack of empathy like i've got a clear conscience and that's all i need to worry about so I take stock of what I've done, and I report it to the official, and the official reports it to God, and the God tells him, make sure he does this, and he'll be okay. Don't mm-hmm. even worry about it. That's all it yeah. feels like him to say, like, religion's bullshit and doesn't matter. Which, uh, how dare you? I mean, yeah, that's one reading of it. Because, like, uh, as you know, the Catholic Church didn't like some of his movies because of things. Well. Have you have you heard of this artist? He did a religious movie, and oh. it was a religious movie. Like it talked about the the Catholic rules, and it had predict. You know, uh, it showed miracle acts, holy acts, uh-huh. in it, and it had Chris Rock in it as uh-huh. a disciple and you know they gave him a really hard time about that yeah i believe there's a shit monster in it oh yeah that too see see it all comes back to shit yeah, do you think <sighs> do you think smith is a fan of uh pasolini oh i don't know if he would have watched it honestly but uh that, that's that's a fun idea at the very least He's uh, he seems like a smart man. I don't know if he's a film dork. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, I uh, I don't know. Like, uh, if someone listening hasn't really seen any Pasolini, don't start with Sallow. Uh, uh, probably work up to Sallow. Even though Sallow, I think, is really good. But it's still, like, yeah, that shouldn't be like your first one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this works as a first movie just fine, yeah. but it also doesn't like it. it kind of lays down a couple of. I mean, I've only seen two movies, so I don't know. I don't know, but oh. like every single one of them seems to have religious imagery based on what you're telling me. So at least you're getting a yeah a primer on that. Yeah, Salo has uh, religious stuff mixed in it too, and. Uh, yeah, really. Like uh, it, the the Catholic Church stuff seems to crop up in basically all of his movies. 
The subtitle of Sallow is, what, 120 Days of Sodom? Yeah. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, it's it's right there on the title. Of course, it has to do something with something. Yeah, yeah it's uh, uh, Marquis de Sade. Uh, yeah, this movie is available uh, if, I don't know, if you're if you're interested in watching Pasolini stuff, start here. We have two more planned. Uh, I might, well, I might switch that one because that might be a little too much of one director. But we're definitely going to do Gospel according to Matthew because that's when I really want to just dig into. Like, I want to talk about Marxist Jesus. Um, I don't know if I can take it. Or Communist Jesus or whatever. I, I don't know the specifics of Pasolini's political views communist jesus i guess stay away from me <laughs> uh yeah would you say uh recommend people watch this one yeah sure especially if you're already like things like uh rome open city or um you know uh uh what's the one with the man with his dog oh. a boy and his dog just kidding uh umberto d <laughs> Umberto D or Bicycle Thieves. It's like it does. It has these uh, the Italian neorealist feel to it, and I don't. It, it it's good. I don't think it takes too much thinking about to enjoy the movie or anything like that. It's not like homework, but I do think people should also watch Teorema oh. Theorem, but maybe after this one. Yeah. And after talking about it, I think I like Teorama better because oh. it's such a bold piece there. This one is less bold than that. Okay. And uh, I wonder what you'll say about uh, Gospel according to Matthew. Uh, please let me be. No, <laughs> okay. I don't know. Yeah, and Hawks and Sparrows is the other one, but I might switch out Hawks and Sparrows for something else. Uh, let's see. So, nineteen sixty-two. We're uh, and uh, if this, if you haven't heard the first, uh, the first movie of this pairing, we talk, we kind of compare the movies in that one. Mm. Which oh, that would be crossover with that with my with my life to live too. I'm thinking about it. Jesus, I'm going to have to watch like some 1962 movies because we've already talked about 1962 multiple times. Yeah, uh, I have... Uh, you know what, because of who the guest is next, uh, who the guest was previous episode, I will get, I'll mention uh, these movies because I have a lot to say, well, I have uh, more to say than just beyond a basic recommendation on a couple of these one is Danger <coughs> Pays, which is a movie you got me for my birthday. Part of the Nikatsu. Uh, Nikatsu. Uh, Diamond Guys. Ah, uh, yeah. And like all those, like basically all those movies in that set, none of them are great, but all of them are really good and really fun. And Danger Pays is one of the many movies directed by Ko Nakahira, who was. A, he's just a studio director. He, he wasn't really on a tour or anything, but he mm -hmm. but he made good like studio like I guess journeyman I guess the right word for it. But he, um, 
uh, Crazed Fruit was his first movie. And he kind of, in my opinion, got better uh, over the years. Crazy Route to 56 sure. version. It's been remade, I want to say two or three times. But uh, I, I'm i I'm pretty, I, I'd say I'm a fan of Ko Nakahira. I've seen a number of his movies. And if I remember correctly, he, he died in the mid to late 70s. And he wasn't. Actually, I wanted to actually double track because I think he died fairly young. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was in his early fifties, so mm. not that young, but still, you know. Um. <clears throat> uh. Anyway, yeah. Uh, check out his movies. Um, he has quite a few. And the other, yeah. oh, oh. and other one. Is the fabulous Baron Munchausen the uh, uh, Carol Zeman uh, film? Which okay. I've started that. I haven't finished it though. It's it's amazing. It is amazing. Um, I don't like. How would you how do you describe it exactly? I mean, it is ridiculous farce. It is silly. Like uh, people might be familiar with the Terry Gilliam, uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, but I haven't seen that movie. But it's a Terry Gilliam film, so I can only assume that it's wacky, kind of like Brazil would be or was. Uh, and it's because it's made in '62. The effects are very lo-fi, handmade awesome like paper cut and shadow play and animation and the whole thing is is i call it black and white but it is like it's colorized for whatever place they're at you know so it's like red and black or yellow and black or stuff like that and it's pure delight based on the amount i've seen i don't know if later maybe um the american who goes to space gets arrested and strapped to a table and then dies in the pose of Jesus. But if that doesn't happen, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, I recommend any Zeman film. I've seen like four or five of his movies. His earlier stuff is better than I've seen some of his like seventies, eighties stuff, and it's it's still creative and fun, but it doesn't have like the same budget or it's not like he didn't have the same budget or time as he did in his earlier part of his career. Sure. But it still is um, uh, really good. And you can find uh, Amazon has, uh, at least they used to have some of his like other stuff. Because like, he kind of turned to his, like, like, he made kid movies and they're not kind of a little less ambitious. Uh, as like Milo, Milos Forman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When I look at the movies he made, or he had made, yeah, later I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I, loves of a blonde. Yeah, I really think it just came down to them and just kind of became like, oh, you make movies for kids, and they gave him this less um, uh, room to work with. Yeah, that stinks. And then he had to make movies not not just that adults can also enjoy, but specifically for kids. Because I wouldn't yeah. say, I mean, Baron Munchausen is appropriate for children because it doesn't have anything, as far as I saw, that was violent or sexual. But yeah. I wouldn't 
like yeah. I'm an I'm a full grown ass adult, and I, I'm amazed by the film work that was going on and the fun. Yeah, yeah the the two and horses, the two late era ones I've seen are just like they're pretty kidified. Not not the, and not that's bad. Just like oh, uh, you know, something happened in his career, probably. Sure, maybe he had kids. Maybe. Uh, but the other my other book, I have another book. For, uh, I'll say for the when we record the other half of this episode. But there's one book, the because one one of, my, one of my favorite authors is Anthony Burgess, and he wrote my favorite book. That uh, if you listen to the first half of the pairing, you know mm-hmm. what it is. But he wrote a second book this year called The Wanting Seed. And this is him doing a parody of a John Christopher, uh, uh, just dystopian future, um, uh, uh, science fiction, except instead of it being based off, uh, like environmental stuff, it's what if gay people ran the future and they were shitty and abusive and it's, uh, Burgess was very homophobic and sexist and kind of racist and I can't defend this book. It's indefensible. But uh, there's some interesting stuff in it. But there's just kind of a big hump to get over. Like this, the homophobia. And... Uh, yeah, I, as, I, as long as you acknowledge the <laughs> problematic parts, I don't think you yeah. have to excuse yourself, right? Yeah, uh, he was a... What we'd call now a, a problematic person. In a lot of ways. And this book in particular is just like the might be of his of his early career like might be the most uh not okay not not cool thing he did in his early career and uh Mm -hmm. there's always stuff that kind of shows up in his his books where it's like oh yeah i forgot he was kind of a shitty uh kind of a shitty dude shitty shitbird yeah uh i'd put him up there with like ian Ian Fleming, like he's kind of that level of like racist and homophobic, which mm. yeah, uh, he's a great writer. I love his, I love uh, some of his books, but some of them is like, th- there's a reason no one talks about these anymore because like, or get or gets adapted because like you, you can't really save <laughs> save some of these because like uh oh boy this uh I don't know. It has some interesting ideas, interesting structure. It's just like, uh, it's just kind of the most fucked up thing he wrote that I've read, and I've read like maybe a a fifth of what he wrote. Mm. I feel like if I was rich, I could make one of these movies based on a book that is no longer mm-hmm. something people should, but I'll purposely make it really bad. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Anthony Burgess also did the translation for Jesus of Nazareth, the TV miniseries from the seventies. He had a fast. What's this? Huh? He did a fa- half fascinating life. He could speak, I think, six languages. Mm. At least six. Um, and he was still an idiot. <laughs> no, he was very smart. He was a a, a problemat a quote unquote problematic person. Yeah, he's an idiot. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. I mean, if you could you could be fucking genius, <laughs> but you could still be an idiot. You know, that's that's the way the world works. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Walking Seed. Read it if 
I don't know if you're curious about uh, Anthony Burgess or read his other books yeah. uh, before you get to that. Work up to like sure. the, the worst one of of, of uh, his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I, I think I haven't I, I think I didn't even recognize mended this before, but uh, Harakiri Harakiri. It's uh, Masaki Kobayashi has an excellent cover poster and stars everyone's true Japanese boyfriend, sorry, Mafune, Tatsuya Nakadai. Mm-hmm. And have, you haven't watched this one yet, right? Uh, not yet. I'm Just saying, fucking I, watch it. I, <laughs> I mean, there's like, there, there's like 50 other Nakadai movies I have to watch before that. No, no, watch this one now. Because you'll really enjoy it, and that's okay. You can come back to it later again, or all those other ones, because they're still going to be there. But this, like, seriously, this is one. This is such a great samurai honor thing, and like, I've been thinking so much about Japanese movies recently because whenever I scroll through Criterion Channel, it's you know they see these things like, oh man, I loved that one when I when we watched it back in the day, and then I'll be like, oh, and I haven't watched this one yet. I got to do this, but. Yeah, uh, Harakari, I, I watched outside of the podcast, and it does such an excellent storytelling job where it's just revealing a little bit of the plot at the time. Because what it is is, is uh, Tatsuya Nakadai plays a samurai who comes to commit suicide. And this is something, I guess, that would happen is that people would go to the the daimo or whatever's like big property and ask to ritually commit suicide and the presumption was that people would do this because what they really wanted was the daimo to hear their sad story and be like you know what don't kill yourself i'm gonna give you a job and so when nakadai goes to do this and they say hey we can just give you a job you don't have to do that he goes no i'm here to kill myself and then it gets weirder and it lays it out so excellent like the there's these you know of course there's the betrayals but there's also this like the poor versus the rich kind of thing message going on that is excellent and eventually comes down to spoiler for this movie some of the best sword fighting action fun awesome time like it's it's a great movie and I don't know if it's a like a dudes only like this movie. I don't think so. I don't know why, but I'm also a dude, so it <laughs> it, it is kind of. It, I wouldn't call it an action movie because it's not. It doesn't have a lot of action. It has a lot of story followed by some very cool action at the very end. So I don't know. It's great. If you haven't watched it, like Spencer, uh-huh. maybe you should turn off the podcast and watch it right now. What are you doing? I'm looking at the schedule so I know what to say at the end of the episode. How dare you? You should be watching Harakiri. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll add that to the list. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm halfway through Celine and Julie go boating for a third time. So I, I can postpone that three and a half hour movie to watch uh, Nakadai. Yeah, it'll go by real fast. Yeah. I can jump back into Slee and Julie because that movie is amazing. All right. Um, 
Uh, as of this recording, this is a few months ahead, I was just on Movies from Hell and talked about Sarah Jacobson for over three hours with Bradley, Dan, and uh, Alexandria. And it's uh, a great time. We talk about everything uh, from like uh, uh, cargo pants and how you should treat them into like Black Lives Matter and like uh, uh, like LGBTQ stuff and like we cover everything because Sarah Jacobson uh, her movies cover everything and her manifesto was out there about her philosophy of filmmaking and feminism and shit like that and uh, if you haven't seen any, any Sarah Jacobson stuff it's out there it's easily accessible it's very inspirational uh, if you want to make a movie uh, figure it out you can do it uh, yeah I just I just watched a diary of a teenage serial killer is that what it's called uh, something like that yeah and uh, that was excellent yeah. I, I also like uh, the other one too but her uh, other serial killer was like wow yeah her other movie she got to make before she died yes. far too soon yes yeah so uh, listen to us for three hours talk about like punk and riot girl and feminism and me too and you know a whole bunch of stuff uh and uh if you live in oh if you live in the new york area or, or new york city uh what archive is it there's her the some library or universe or university library has all of jacobson's archives archived um films and short films so if you so you could um watch it at i forgot what library it is in new york and it's also on youtube uh almost everything yeah awesome yeah and um yeah if in uh, uh I'll, I'll spoil some episode if you have like teen children maybe show them like some Sarah Jacobson stuff or like introduce them to her because it's uh, something I came across and when research her episode was a lot of uh, a lot of women in particular say they wish they would have seen Mary Jane's not a virgin anymore when they were in high school mm-hmm. uh, and also like one of the one I uh, one of the uh, Dan on episode said his son is in high school he wants to show his son Mary Jane, so he could, so his son can understand what women go through, so his son, you know, isn't yeah. isn't clueless about like, you know, the shit women have to deal with, uh, you know, just just by existing. Yep. So. And I say you watch the teenage serial killer one with your children, so that they know what a filmmaker can do, whether or not anyone's fucking telling them what to do it doesn't have to be goddamn marvel doesn't have to be scorsese either you know (laughs) you can get out there with a camera and film something and work on it and film some more and work on that until you have something and it could be fun and crazy and messy and still great yeah uh besides that uh i don't know maybe i'll be on cinema parlor again i'm scheduled to do a sage and suzuki episode uh, in the near future, and uh, I talked to Melly about doing a Charlie Duvall episode, so I don't know, maybe that will happen. Yeah, go. Hmm? 
do, do they want to do an episode on uh, Alex Cox movies for me? Uh, talk to Melanie. I'm sure she'll say yes. All right. Some of her are good. I'll hit her up. Yeah, good dudes. Uh, yeah, and uh, Nolan will come back for the, some Godard movie he and Mike would really fucking like. So maybe I'll find a second Godard movie <laughs> I like. But, I don't know, we'll see about that. Sure, don't get your hopes up. Uh, I'm not. I mean, what are two we're talking about? We, um, the no, my... I, was, I was talking to Jean-Luc Godard, who no doubt <laughs> listens to our podcast. Uh, I mean, I think Dave... Eves was one who told me, like, if we named after Godard episode, after a Godard movie, he would hate our show just because of that. Which makes me wish I kind of I I did that <laughs> to annoy him. Yeah. Uh, he is on Instagram. In case anyone's wondering. Uh, Ooh, Jean Luc Godard. Yes, Godard's on Instagram. What the hell is that nine-year-old doing? I don't fucking know. <laughs> He's on Instagram doing something. Mm. Sliding into my DMs. Uh, you can slide into his DMs. See what he's up to. Nice. I should do it, man. Slide in there and ask him if he wants to to do an interview. Uh, sure. No. <laughs> the pause there was magnificent, but I think you were just doing something. <laughs> Uh, am I sounding okay now? Yeah, you sounded fine before. Oh. Then, never mind. Uh, jeez, I have the phone out. Okay, so this month is July when this comes out, and that means Mtume was on the previous episode. Um, what's that? Uh, my Life to Live? Yes, My Life to Live. And a special episode for this month is going to be Eric Romare, or we talked about, or that one's been posted already. I don't know. And a Romare movie will at least be My Night at Mods. Again, if that one hasn't been posted already. Sure. Next month is August. It's... Fuck, I didn't even do that. Uh, it's two. It's back to back months of Godar. It's contempt. Uh, Dave Eves. So he'll do most of the talking. Sure, but what movie are we doing? Contempt. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> I know that was the joke. Gee, I did not mean to do two Godar back to back. I got. I'm sorry, but it's going to be great. Uh, I can't hear. I can't wait to hear you grouse <laughs> about it. Okay. Uh. Uh. Yeah, Dave Eves to go for uh, contempt, and uh, uh, when it's just us, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the Jessica rom-com anthology. Mm-hmm. That uh, what, I think that that's one that beat. Um, I think it was a Japanese movie I really like that beat in the Oscars. But whatever, it's Jessica. That movie's great. It's Marcello and Sophia Loren. Um being romantic together, Marcello, you get to see him as a, as a cartoon character and as, like, super cool. It's kind of great. Cool. And Loren is, you know, great. And uh, and I think she has a new movie coming out this year. And I didn't, I thought she died, like, 20 years ago, but 
uh, she didn't. That was Marcello who died like twenty years ago. <laughs> Uh, talk about Sophia Loren. Yes, Loren's still alive. She's like maybe in her nineties. You think she died right after the filming of Grumpy or Old Man? Yeah, I assume like she died like like pre two thousand. She was in a uh, nine, also, wasn't she? Maybe that uh, musical that's yeah. based on eight and a half yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and I saw yeah. some interview, read some interview with her about her upcoming movie, where she's like, PTA is her favorite working. It's her favorite director now, or something, and like her favorite actor is Daniel Day Lewis, and it's like, mm. no, I got bad news for her. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it's cool that she keeps up with movies, unlike you know Woody Allen and other people who kind of don't keep up with shit. Yeah, people we don't actually like, anyways. Yeah. Oh, and the special episode for um, this month is. Uh, Sala uh, X-A-L-A the Simbin movie with Martin Kessler so alright yeah adding Salo to my watch list Sa- uh, I think they Sala is this a girl eating pudding that's weird <laughs> yeah. no it's about a guy who can't get his dick up anymore and it ruins his political oh so it's about that anyways yeah <laughs> oh man it's a really great um, satire, and hopefully Criterion makes a Blu-ray or some shit of it, because the DVD's been out of print for like over 10 years. I'm sure it's all true. I mean, I mean they, they probably will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, podcast stuff, appearances. Okay, so this is coming all the way out in July. I have a feeling that I might have a different podcast out by now. Because I've been kind of working around uh, with a couple of concepts. Like, if you listen to other episodes, you heard me talking about Amazon told me to, which turned up not being a project I actually wanted to work on. Although, the one that I'm doing now is kind of a similar concept anyways. Because I've always liked... I like watching movies that are famous, and I like movies that are important, but what I really like is watching movies that I've never heard of that actually turn out to be great. And that is a, that's a difficult thing to do, but one of the best ways I've found to do that is by randomly selecting podcasts. So I'm starting a podcast, or I have, at this point when this is released, I already have a podcast with episodes out that I'm going to be doing with my friend Jose. And we're going to be talking about random movies uh, that I have an equation. I've got a robot that actually picks these movies out for me. And we're just, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. We're also going to be talking about how they fit in, you know, nowadays, like, uh, we're, you know, politi- politics, both literal, you know, government wise and sexual and all these things like that where i i i really want to emphasize being aware of problematic things and but i also want to emphasize are you talking about me so you're talking about me recommending that book no i'm not trying to uh i'm trying to talk about my podcast without using the word woke because at this point it's it's been taken by the right-wing assholes to be something to make fun of. 
but basically I want I want it to be open conversations about what what is historically inaccurate, what is plot problematic race-wise or uh, uh, sexual orientation-wise and all that stuff. But I, Jose and I are both funny weirdos, so I think it's going to end up being fun anyways. So look out for that. Uh, Spencer's already lined up for an episode on a musical, I think, right? Uh, yes. But I don't know when that's going to be recording, so don't hold your breath. Uh, can I say what musical but, it is? Yeah, absolutely. I forgot already what it was. I need to see. Yeah, me too. I picked. <laughs> look on my list. It is a movie called... It's a 40s one, I think. Yes, it is called... Is it Judy, is it Judy Garland? Words words and Music from 1948, directed by Norman Tarog. I've never heard of the movie. It has Mickey Rooney, has Janet Leigh. Oh, Janet Leigh. Uh, I, I picked it. Perry Como? What the fuck? <laughs> Anyways, if you recognize that uh, movie, that's awesome. We're going to talk about it. Uh, other things that are going to be coming up, um, we're going to be talking about Basquiat, the, the movie that starred uh, Jeffrey Wright and David Bowie playing Andy Warhol. Um and uh, some other things like uh, the oh, there's this really cool animated one that I'm looking forward to that's currently on Criterion, called "Of Stars and Men," mm-hmm. uh, directed by John and Faith Hubley. That looks like I'm I'm into any kind of animation that looks different than the standard. Mm-hmm. But we are also going to be covering the Liberty, the Liberty Story, which is a Disney-made educational film. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, and uh, I picked the, I picked that movie I because uh, Lena Horne and Judy Garland were in it. That's why I added it to my, uh, oops, my Netflix DVD list. Awesome! I didn't realize Lena Horne was in it. I didn't see her name. Uh, she know. says guest appearance. That's what says guest on the Wikipedia. Uh, there we go. Mel Horn. Oh yeah. Mel Torme. Mel Torme, Gina Kelly. Okay. So you're gonna wait. Do you like Hollywood musicals? Hey, I I like some musicals. I don't okay. know. We'll we'll see what happens. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I just watched uh, the Pillow Game, and that is a, a super fun musical. The Pillow. Wait, what's With the one the... Sarah mentioned? Uh, I think it might be that one. Pajama game? With Doris Day. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, the pajama game. Why did I say the? Because I keep thinking of Pillow Talk, yeah, which is a movie with Doris Day and Rock Hudson. I was going to say, I don't think Rock Hudson did any musicals. No. The pajama game with Doris Day and John Raitt is hilarious. Like, I cannot. There were so many parts where I had to stop the movie and just be like, what? <laughs> but it's so much fun. You know, it's lighthearted fun. But that's not. I'm not even recommending that. Anyways, that's what I'm doing. Cool. <laughs> and uh, uh, oh, what's yeah? So the movies that are coming up, you know, yesterday, today, tomorrow, um, contempt, um, are easily available. Uh, Zala, uh, you have to go through not so legal means to get it easily, or spend like a eighty to hundred bucks on DVD. So, yeah, uh, your, your choice. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, so see you guys next time for either the the Eric Romare one or um, Contempt. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art at sarahkathleenroberts.com, and thank you for listening.